Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. Welcome. How are you? Kansas way today. But uh, we've got a, a lot to do this hour. We're going to start off with uh, Todd Spitzer, the uh, current Orange County DA, and he's going to be around for a while, for uh, another four and a half years, because he won re-election outright in the primary on Tuesday. He Pete beat his opponent, Pete Hardin, by a huge amount. Uh, and uh, since it was over 50 percent, uh, he doesn't have to participate in a runoff come November. So why don't we get Todd on here? John, good afternoon. How are you? Oh, great. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, no, thanks. Listen, I want to thank you and Ken. I, look, KFI is such a huge listening audience, and your audience is right in my sweet spot. In other words, everything I believe in, I think, is near and dear to your listening audience throughout you know, the listening area. Yes. And I just want to thank the two of you. By you guys endorsing me and supporting me, it really it telegraphed to your listeners one, pay attention, but two, this election really will mean something for Orange County. And quite frankly, John, it's gonna, it influences what happened in San Francisco, and it's really going to influence what's going to happen in Los Angeles. Well, when you saw how badly Chesa Bodine did in the recall and how well you did with the opposite message, uh, I, I don't care what the, what the uh, political makeup of the counties are. This is, this is a regular person issue. Nobody wants to live in a crime-ridden county, period. No matter well, John, what your politics the irony, is. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, early voting was mostly, uh, was overwhelmed, dominated by Democrats. I'm a, I'm a Republican, but I won Democratic votes overwhelmingly. And I totally agree with you. I mean, everybody wants to be safe. No one wants to live in the communities they're being faced with today. And so this was bipartisan, but our message was really clear. We don't allow this community in Orange County to become like Los Angeles. And San Franciscans, I went to law school up there in the city at, at uh, University of California Hastings Law. And, you know, I used, I, that, that city is a, a wonder, used to be a wonderful yeah. city. And yet, now what? Guess what, John? They're going to get that city back. I hope so. When I first came to California, I thought San Francisco was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen in this country. And I, am, I get shocked and overwhelmed every day when I read and see what's happened to it. And I don't understand why they would allow this beautiful jewel of a city to end up being a, an open sewer. I just have, have no idea what that kind of self-destructive impulse is in people. Well, I do want to say something now, you know, with a little bit of the rearview mirror in my election, and it's overstating one's case. In other words, John, look, I mean, I will tell you, look, we, I think we have to acknowledge, and I think it's important, that the progressives like Chessa and Gascon 
they have raised some very, very important issues in the criminal justice arena that people like me, even law and order, more conservative DAs, we have to listen to and we have to do a better job. We have to do a better job with the homeless. We have to do a better job with the mentally ill and those addicted to drugs and alcohol. You can't just, they are right when they say you cannot just lock up everybody and think the problem's gonna get better. So I think it forced me to sharpen my pencil and do a better job, but they did it too fast and, and it, all across the board, right? Eliminating enhancements, eliminating bail, no death penalty, no juveniles, prosecuted as adults. George and Chester did it all, one fell swoop, no prosecuting misdemeanors. And as a result, like they didn't even measure it incrementally. And as a result, they destroyed their communities. They could, I think if, and I think, look, this, I've, I've been elected for over 30 years. You have to learn lessons from campaigns and voter temperament. And the lesson here is we want our communities to be safe first and foremost, but we don't want to lock up people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol or homeless and, and, and solve our problem that way. But did know, they go I, too far? I, Absolutely. And I think most people would agree that if there's a way to treat these people, do that. But they want them off the streets. There's got to be a play. There's got to be a midpoint here. You can't just let them lay in the streets and die and act out like this. That's not the way anybody's no. going to want to live. John, one of the most important conversations we have to have as a society, and I have a cousin who's a paranoid schizophrenic, my cousin Patsy. And, John, until we start talking about medicating those who are mentally ill to stabilize them so they can start to be aware of their situation, we will never, ever solve the homeless problem. You cannot rationalize with people who are mentally ill living on the street. No, it will never happen. But, but you, at some point, you have to force them into the treatment. Right, but that's when I cleared the riverbed, when we had the riverbed yeah. full next to Angel Stadium. Yeah. We built a homeless shelter. But all we did was provide housing. You've got to make people get treatment, and they have to have professional care. Once that happens, then they, then they can understand their situation and try to be stabilized. But, as you well know, it's the people living on the street who are the criminal element, who have no interest in changing their behavior, that we have to arrest, prosecute, and incarcerate. What is the mechanism for giving them the treatment, though? Because, I mean, here in L.A. City, L.A. County, it doesn't seem like there's any government body that's setting up the infrastructure for the, for the treatment, whether it's mental health or the drug addiction. I, I actually think it's there. I, I, I just think that we have a pretty low success rate. In fact, like, for example, in Orange County, in the last year, we reduced homelessness 20% by put, putting people into shelters, uh, longer-term housing, and, and, and treatment. So we have really, really aggressively done that. And but so what, what are you, what are you do doing with, different? What are you doing different? Because in L.A., it just seems more and more. So how are you getting them into the treatment so successfully? I think that the, 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 the people that we have on the street, the Illumination Foundation and other entities, um, they are out in the street with the workers, and they are some of the best of the best, and they're offering services. Now, do I think it, 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 do I think it has made a huge difference? Of course. But again, until we discuss as a matter of public policy how we are going to basically force people into treatment against their will. And I'm not talking about just a 5150 hold where somebody, you know, is a danger to themselves or others. 
I'm talking about the fact that we have to have a lower threshold to, to get people stabilized. And we are not willing to have that conversation in California. Why do you think that is? Because the civil libertarians have successfully argued. I mean, Ronald Reagan, when he was governor of California, really was instrumental in eliminating our mental institutions in California. And, and I think there's been an argument for 60 years that this is a violation of people's civil liberties if you're going to basically force treatment to stabilize them. I watched and have a family member who's a schizophrenic. And if she was off her meds, she was dangerous. She could, you could not talk any sense to her. And she was living on the streets. You, so until we understand that the threshold to, um, well, to restrict somebody's freedom is a lower civil standard, we're always going to have this problem right, on our streets. Because the alternative is you have, you have to trim their civil liberties a bit force them into treatment, otherwise they die, and then they don't have any civil liberties. And we also have civil, right, civil liberties to live freely without being terrified walking down the street. John, it, 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 our treatment of the, mental, of the mentally ill and those addicted to drugs, go down to Skid Row. I mean, drive down there. Yeah, we, we did a show go from there. there. Right, and, and understand, is that, is that humane? Is the way we treat people or the way we allow them to live, is that how we should be treating other human beings? And the answer is absolutely not. So we have to have that discussion about lowering the threshold on civil liberties in order to allow people to help themselves. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, normal people have to get control of this conversation because it's been dominated well, by the, the state legislature. I'm telling you, look, this election in L.A. is so important because when I even Rick Caruso, when I watch his ads, John, they're full of false promises right now. It, honestly, he what he is saying is pie in the sky unless he can tell you how he can achieve that. And Karen was my speaker when I was in the state assembly, and she's had decades to address these problems. So there needs to be real solutions put on the table by all of these candidates, quite frankly, because they they're just. It, right now, they're just commercials. Uh, what was the final uh, total for your uh, campaign there? The, 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 so the vote. I, so the George Soros candidate who had money from all outside Orange County, he's at 19.3%, uh, and I'm at 60, almost 64%. So I beat him more than 3 to 1. Wow, he did not So cut I'm over, yeah, I'm at 63.85%. And they just dumped a whole new set of numbers uh, a few minutes ago. So, I mean, it, it, it obviously is huge. But, again, John, you cannot, in, in politics and government, it, it's like business, you can't overplay your hand. So you're not going to hear me up on the rooftop crowing about, oh, look, look, look how great I am or look how great these policies are. We can never stop trying to be problem solvers. All right, Todd. Well, I'm glad you had time to come on with us, and I look forward to Thank talking you, with you over the next four and a half years as you remain the DA in Orange County. Congratulations. Well, you're so kind, and thanks again for your endorsement. All right. Todd Spitzer, uh, the Orange County DA, and you heard those numbers, 64 to 19 over Pete Harden, who is uh, a George Gascon uh, 
follower. Uh, more coming up on the John and Ken Show. It looks like um, <laughs> the uh, the baby formula shortage was looming for a long time that uh, the FDA and Abbott Laboratories that makes a lot of the formula were warned that they had trouble in their plant a year before the recall and that the White House was aware of a baby uh, formula shortage possibility, but they just didn't take it seriously because they didn't really understand the baby formula industry. So they waved it off as not being a big deal. I'll give you all the details on that coming up after 5.30 on the John and Ken Show. Ken is away today. Um, yeah, I'm reading the 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 uh, all, all the left-wing progressive writers and editors at these idiot media outlets have been promoting all this nonsense about justice reform and defund the police for several years now. And all of a sudden, they hit a wall at about 95 miles an hour and came to a dead stop. And they don't know what to do. They don't know what this means. They did not pick up on how angry people are. And I find that fascinating. I find it absolutely fascinating that, that journalists who are out amongst the public every day had no idea there'd be such a rebellion coming. And now they're writing all these columns and these essays. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that people don't want criminal justice reform, blah, 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 blah. And I remember, I flash back to last, no, two summers ago. And I was on uh, one of those uh, Fox 11 panel shows uh, the night of the Democratic convention that Alex Michelson hosted on Fox 11. And I was on with Gloria Allred and a Democratic uh, consultant, and his first name's Brian, and I'm blanking on his last name. But I was there with them on camera. Uh, I think we were all on, on Zoom. And what I remember is the Portland was ablaze. I mean, it was burning. There was Antifa rioting. There was complete mayhem. Seattle had gone to hell that summer. Remember that chop zone? They cordoned off uh, a large section of the city. The terrorists did. And the police wouldn't even go in there. And then we had our problems in Los Angeles and the Fairfax district burned, 88 businesses burned. And Garcetti's response was to take a knee and call the police killers. I mean, it was just mayhem. And the, the fun the police Cry was everywhere to fund the police, to fund the police. They were going to get rid of the police department in Minneapolis. They were going to, they, they, they took out $150 million here in LA out of the budget. And I remember sitting there that night and Joe Biden, I think it was the, probably the night of Joe Biden's acceptance speech. And I thought, this has got to be the worst idea I've ever heard. Not only practically for normal people's lives, but politically. It's like, are they really going to run on defund the police? Is that really going to be the agenda? And what I noticed is uh, Gloria Allred and the consultant, Brian, they would not criticize the defund the police message at all. Not defend Biden ignoring all the mayhem in Portland. And I thought, and I said out loud on the air, I, you know, this is, this is going to be a big mistake. And not because I have any special powers. It's because it was obvious. I, I know mostly normal people. I talk to normal people. I grew up with normal people. Normal people have no interest in this. Most people are not weird activists or fake university intellectuals or people who live and communicate all day on Twitter and they don't work in newsrooms. Normal people, you know what they are. 
You're probably one yourself. Nobody I know raised this defund the police idea. And I, you know, I was torn between like, well, this is, you know, cities are going to go to hell with this attitude because defund the police encompasses all kinds of insanity. It means don't prosecute criminals, no bail for criminals, let them out early. I mean, the whole George Gascon, Gavin Newsom agenda. So I figured, well, everything's going to go to hell. I guess on the bright side, once it gets really bad, there's going to be a huge backlash, and these stupid fools are going to get thrown out of office. I mean, that was my last hope. And as the last two years went by, I'm thinking, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. And finally, it's happening. So now we got Chesa Bodine out. Now we're closing in on kicking out George Gascon. Now we got Rick Caruso up by five points in the mayor's race. Not everybody is getting kicked out. And some of the nuts will survive. But again, remember, this is Los Angeles and, and San Francisco. These are the toughest places in the country to get this kind of traction for this nonsense. Because most people are not this progressive. And I don't even know what that word means. Because there should be another word for just letting criminals run, a, run amok and smash and grab and murder and, and, and steal and assault. I mean, the stuff we've seen here... San Francisco, New York City, has been the worst of most people's lifetimes. It's just absolutely abominable, inhuman. Inhuman to the crime victims, inhuman to the rest of us who are scared. I'm thinking there's got to be a backlash. And finally there is. Because nobody wants to live like this. That should be the campaign slogan. They had their chance. They've had this run for several years. Total failure. And nobody wants to live like this. And so maybe... I think this week's a turning point, and things are going to get better, and we're going to get through this bizarre fever, this left-wing progressive nutjob uh, fever that so many people have had. More coming up uh, on the on the uh, infant formula shortage, which is really one of the most bizarre aspects of all the crazy news going on. John and Ken show KFI. Uh, we're going to talk about the formula shortage in a minute, but I was— you know who Peggy Noonan is? She's the writer. She's often on TV as a commentator. Writes for the Wall Street Journal. She's been around a long time. Uh, great writer. She was writing about, I'm, I'm telling you, the voting in California has overwhelmed the media from coast to coast. I've seen more stories trying to analyze what does this mean that Chesa Bodine got uh, kicked out of office and that Rick Caruso is leading for L.A. mayor. And she wrote two lines. Well, the first is a fact. And she, she says that um, polling has indicated that minority voters backed the recall in greater numbers than college-educated white people. This is Chesa Bodine. Can you imagine that? College-educated white people were against the recall. Who's for the recall? Minority voters. And one of the reasons they support guys like Chesa Bodine is because these college-educated white people think the system is racist. But the minority voters are saying, wait a second, this is not how you fix things. Because as she writes, they suffer more and they have fewer protections when crime spikes and homeless encampments seize new ground. And then later on, she writes that a final characteristic of progressive politicians is that they... <laughs> I love this line. They tend to be high IQ, stupid people. And that's true of many of their supporters. 
They were college educated, Ivy League educated, high IQs, right? Checked all the boxes, but they're stupid. And I, there's a lot more in this column. I'll probably get more into it tomorrow. It was, it was a piece of work. High IQ, stupid people. I'm gonna steal that. That's that, that's that that explains it. Now about the formula thing, and I know most of you uh, uh, are not using baby formula, um, but this is a fascinating story to me because of the massive incompetence of so many layers of government. It is just stunning. Well, uh, uh, Deborah, you and uh, your friends, like how long did, did you, uh, before you needed the baby formula? Well, my son, I breastfed for about six weeks, but he wasn't getting enough and he was always hungry. So I, then I went to formula. My daughter, I breastfed for a year, never put her on formula. Right. And my friends, it, the same thing. A lot of my friends would breastfeed for a year because back in when I was pregnant and having babies, we were told one year is your best bet. Right. And after a year, they don't need formula No, anymore? you give them regular milk. Oh, I see. All right. So it's a year. So if you didn't go a year, I, I, I think there's a lot of people who didn't make it to the year for whatever reason. Maybe they had to work. Maybe they have, you know, sometimes you just don't have a good connection is what I've heard. But it, it's really it's really frightening if there's you can't buy the formula. Because that's terrifying. It really isn't another alternative. If for whatever reason you're not breastfeeding and you don't have formula, wow. Um, so how does this happen? Why isn't there the highest safeguards built into the system so this could not happen in our country, the richest country ever, the most sophisticated technology, technological country ever in, in the world? Well, this is where the government has, and the government workers, I hate to say something generic by the government, there's specific people who did their jobs badly, many of them. The first time a whistleblower complained about the Abbott Company's formula plant in Michigan, Sturgis, Michigan, was February 2021. This is a whole year before the recall and shutdown in February 2022. The complaint was over contamination. OSHA got the complaint from the whistleblower on February 16th, 2021. They sent a copy of it three days later to the FDA and to Abbott Laboratories. So by February 19th of 2021, all the major players knew what was going on. OSHA, the FDA, and Abbott. They said the problems at Sturgis, they had faulty equipment that had to be repaired or upgraded, <coughs> excuse me, and inadequate safety validation for the product that they were releasing. Then there was a second whistleblower report in October 2021, which said, we've got contaminated formula here. Ongoing problems with the uh, seals on the powdered products, questionable practices to test. Uh, they were evading oversight and quality checks. They were falsifying records. They were allowing questionable practices uh, connected to the cleaning of equipment. So that's October. And October is the second whistleblower report. There's two. And again, the FDA is notified. OSHA is notified. Abbott is notified. And nobody did anything. Now, how many different people had to fail at their job there? 
How many different people had to ignore what was going on? What do they do all day? Every day I seem to ask that one way or the other. What do they do all day? And ABC News tried to contact. They got those silly spokesholes who just started spouting gibberish. They wouldn't comment specifically on the original OSHA complaint. The FDA's top priority right now is addressing the dire need for infant formula, and our teams are working night and day to help make that happen. The FDA can and must do better and be faster, and we've initiated a detailed after-action review, blah, 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 blah. Same old nonsense. But how could you go a year? A year. And God knows how much bad formula went out, and how many kids maybe got sick, and it was just never reported, right? Because kids are spitting up and throwing up all the time. How many times did uh, bad formula go into the little kid's belly and they, they spit up and throw up and the mom didn't know? And then probably fed him more bad formula at the next meal. Um, so they finally shut down the plant, issued a recall in February, and the White House officials initially thought the situation was under control. And now Biden officials are privately acknowledging Privately, that's what I love, that they did not have complete data on how much infant formula was in stock. So they were in the dark about the shortages. Um, Because what happened is the formula companies pushed all their reserve stocks into the market and that distorted the data. So the formula companies emptied the warehouse is what happened. And the Biden people goes, oh, I don't know. Looks like they restocked. I guess it's not much of a problem. Except if you shut down the factory for months, that reserve is going to disappear awfully quickly. They had small teams of staff in the White House Domestic Policy Council and National Economic Council. And they concluded that the recall did not warrant involvement by the president and top staff who were consumed by Ukraine and COVID and blah, blah, blah. There was a million crises going on, said one White House official. That doesn't mean this wasn't also a crisis. It just wasn't elevated to a top-level crisis. In other words, a baby formula shortage when these babies had no other option for nutrition. No other option was not considered a top-level crisis. Babies potentially starving to death did not make the top of the list. Because of all the other crises that they manufactured. More coming up on the John and Ken Show. KFI, we were, we were talking about, um, uh, who's in tonight? Is it uh, Conway or Thompson or uh, who? Mark Thompson. Thompson again, okay. Conway is abandoned. Um, I, I was, so let me know when Mark's here, all right? I didn't know I was making him wait yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the, uh, the shortage of baby formula. And again, I know most of you don't have to deal with this, but it's a scary situation. And this is how the government operates. And I told you that, you know, the first, the first warning was given by whistleblower to OSHA in February, 2021. They didn't actually shut down the plant till February of 2022. And there was more than one whistleblower report. And it's like, what? And then nobody really made it clear to the white house that, Hey, we've got a major shortage here looming. Nobody in the white house figured it out here. From a normal person, a writer named Blair Hayes, what it's like being a mother with a little baby and there's no formula. I read this and I thought, my God, 
I wonder how many people are panicking like this. She said, how did I spend a recent afternoon? I spent it traveling to four different cities to find a canister of formula for my baby. I had to carve out about six hours to find the specialty formula that my daughter needs. She was born with some severe health issues. She had to stay in the ICU for a month. She was released with monitors. Uh, and so she, breastfeeding was ruled out early because of the complications. And uh, the pumping stopped after about two months. She was pa placed on a special formula. And she's small for 13 months. She weighs half of what most babies her age weigh. So you see the setting here. A couple of weeks ago, she writes, I had to go to two cities before finding it. This past Thursday, I traveled to every large formula retailer I could find in four different cities. I was beginning to give up hope, and I worried about how much gas money I would need before I found some. Most of the shelves were bare in every store I entered, proving I wasn't the only parent out there. Finally, in the fourth city, I found a canister of formula. But there was a sign letting me know I was limited to only buying three per visit due to the shortage. So that alone made her anxious because how far will I have to travel to find more? And what happens when I can't find it at all? And where am I going to go? Can I purchase breast milk from donation centers? Can you give a baby goat milk? And she's spending her time online trying to research these things. And it's her fourth kid. And now she says it's the reality for many newborns with parents. They're driving around from city to city, place to place, looking for formula. I, I mean, I that is such a failure. That is such a huge failure of all. And again, where are the names in government? Who are the people in the FDA? Who are the people in OSHA? Who are the people at Abbott Laboratories? They're all making good salaries. And all they had to do was clean their equipment. All right, Mark Thompson's here. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I love the bileless rage of <laughs> I John. Got, I got a lot of bile. Yeah. I, well, you're, of course you're right. I mean, and the other thing is that, you know, the, the number of baby formula um, Companies, yeah, has been reduced through the years. I know, I didn't know consolidation that. and whatnot. And then you wall off the ex, uh, exports from other places you know, or importing, if you want to look at it a different way. Right? Yeah, I and know. And you end up, uh, yeah, depending on you know a handful of factories to produce all of the baby formula for an entire country. Yeah, and you close the biggest one. Exactly. Exactly. Right, uh, you want to hang out for a couple hours? We can jaw about that for a while. No, <laughs> sure. you got a place to be. Sure, yeah. you and me and baby formula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have quite the show. Conway, of course, off. We'll talk about the uh, brutal wildfire season ahead. There are uh, concerns for wildfires uh, even now with uh, the heat, low humidity, et cetera. You know, Big Bear, they did a, a big thinning of the forest up there. I think they want to do more because yes. on the north side of Big Bear, there is this uh, forested region that really hasn't been touched, and they're worried about it as a fire danger. Yeah, that is one of the most important things that they've got to do all over the state is do some intelligent thinning. That's exactly uh, right. Of the forests, because yeah. that's uh, that's what the the uh, the Native Americans did for hundreds and thousands of years, and it worked. Yes, and then I, I uh, mean. 
even with the building, you know, and even with the way we've overdeveloped, you know, and kind of encroached upon those wildlands, uh, they're still... As you suggest, uh, there's a history of how to manage the land that we need to integrate. And that knowledge yeah. has been passed down to the, the current generation. All you have to do is ask, and they, they still know the basic theories on how to do it. And, you know, the government came in with all their arrogance, like, well, we know what to do. And, uh, you know, they created this terrible fire hazard. But I yeah, think finally exactly. now they woke up after the Apparently. last few years, yeah. They say they're going to go after a lot of these... Uh, these forest lands pretty aggressively. So, yeah, as you say, they're going to have to. Uh, traffic uh, is a bummer with the Summit of the Americas in town. I mean, it's already a bummer, and I guess it's become, you know, just yeah, uh, even worse. They're going to Malibu tonight. Big party wow. at the yeah. Getty Villa. Wow. Yeah. I'm off that uh, Getty Villa party circuit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you didn't get the funny. invite? <laughs> no. It's no? funny. I'm just being getting passed over. I'm starting to realize, you know, that's how it happens. You just slowly realize right. that, you know. Sure. Yeah. Normally, you'd have been invited to the Summit right. of the Americas. Sure. In the old days, yeah. I would have been at the Summit of the Americas. Uh, golf <laughs> tourney, UFOs, STDs, gas thefts. Uh, it's all there. Johnny Depp tonight will talk. And Brittany, and I don't want to ignore what's going on in Washington. We'll dip in and out of it with any uh, news from the, uh, the House uh, presentation on uh, the January 6th yeah. event. Seems so like a lot, a, of, a lot of droning right now. It's a lot of, well, they've got, now they're doing, it's, it's an audio video presentation. As you know, they're trying to make this a little bit more of a show. But it's got a stripped down quality, like it's not too slick. Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, it's all going on. You know, it's hard to believe one show could could, could handle yeah, it all, but we're yeah. going to do it, John. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm in awe. All right. Mark Thompson coming <laughs> right. up in for Conway. Mike, uh, Michael Crozier is the news. KFI, KOSD, HD2, Los Angeles, Orange County, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.